Please be seated. Well, good evening, brothers and sisters. It's good to see you here uh, this evening. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, can I ask you to turn with me, please, uh, to page 1194 of the Church Bibles, page 1194. Our epistle reading from Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 to 4, uh, verse 13, page 1194 of the Church Bibles. And when you've got that, uh, can I also uh, draw your attention to uh, the bulletin you received as you came in? Right in the center, there is an outline uh, of the talk for tonight. Uh, so it would be helpful to have that in front of you. Uh, some people like to take notes to help them concentrate, uh, and if that's you, then feel free to do that as well. But page 1194, Hebrews chapter 3. Let me lead us in a prayer. <coughs> God our Father, we thank you uh, that you speak to us by your Spirit through your Word. We thank you that you've been speaking to us as your word was read and sung. And now we pray that you do so uh, as we consider this word together. And may your spirit who gave us this word strengthen me to uh, preach it rightly and in his power. And may he work in each one of our hearts, softening our hearts, and that we might respond to your word in the way that you want us to. So please help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The Oxford English Dictionary contains some words that you wouldn't have expected. One of them is the Singaporean word kiasu. Right? And it says that it is used chiefly of a person characterized by a grasping or selfish attitude arising from a fear of missing out on something. Now, some people say this fear of missing out is a common trait among our Singaporean neighbours. Uh, they say that people are always scared that they'll miss out, and so they go overboard to try and make sure that they don't. Now, whether or not this is fair, and whether or not the Singaporeans are actually really worse than us, this perception has led to a number of comments and jokes about Singaporeans. So here's a kiasu joke for you. One day, a Malaysian came to a barber for a haircut. And after the cut, he paid the barber, and the barber said, Sorry, I can't take money from you. I'm doing community service. So the Malaysian was very happy, left the shop, and the next day, the barber came, there was a box with 12 Ferrero Rocher chocolates uh, in there for him. And then the next day, uh, a British man came for a haircut. He wanted to pay the barber. The barber gave him the same response. Uh, he went away happy, and when the next day the barber came, there was a thank you card and a dozen donuts at the door. And the next day, a Singaporean went for a haircut. Wanted to pay the barber, got the same response. And Singaporean, of course, very happy, left the shop. And the next day, when the barber came, there was a dozen Singaporeans waiting for a haircut. Sometimes, though, a fear of missing out can be a good thing. In our passage today, the writer to the Hebrews warns us about missing out on something that is so good that to miss out on it will be the ultimate tragedy. And he exhorts us to make every effort to make sure that we don't. Before we look at it though, let me remind you where we're up to in this letter to the Hebrews. Uh, two weeks ago, when we first opened the letter, we saw that Jesus is far 
far, far, far greater than the angels. And we were warned that if the Israelites of old were punished when they disobeyed the message that came through the angels, how would we escape if we ignore the great salvation that comes to us through Jesus Christ? And then last week we saw how great that salvation was. Jesus was made fully human to taste death for us humans, as us humans, to, to bring us to glory, to destroy the devil, to free us from the fear of death, to be our great high priest who made that propitiation for our sins. And we were told to consider Jesus, who is a son in God's household compared to Moses, who is just a servant. And we are his house, we are told. We were told. If we hold fast to our confidence in him. Well, from that great encouragement from last week, the Holy Spirit turns to warn us this week. And we're at point two on our outline. And the first warning is a warning about hearing God's voice. And that's a warning that's pertinent for each one of us here because right now we've just been listening to the Bible being read, and now we're listening to it being preached, and, and we hear God's voice in the scriptures because the word is the Spirit's word. He speaks to us in that word. And that's what the writer of the Hebrews affirms as he takes us back to our psalm that we sung earlier. He quotes it here in verse 7 saying, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice. Now that psalm was written by David. So he could have written, As David wrote. Or he could have said, As God spoke through David. Indeed, he does that in chapter 4 verse 7. But here he opens his quote with the words, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Because you see, although the psalm was written 1,000 years before this letter, the Holy Spirit was still speaking through it. And what the Holy Spirit was saying to the, the people of the writer of the Hebrews' day is what he said to the people in King David's day, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And the example that he quotes is what happened to Israel in the wilderness. You remember after God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, he led them through the desert to the promised land, but they kept on rebelling against him. Uh, we saw one of those things that happened in our Old Testament reading today. That's the principal one from the psalm, but there were other things as well culminating in a refusal to enter the promised land because they didn't trust that God would give it to them. Yet this was the generation that God, that, that, that heard God speak to them at Mount Sinai. This was the generation that received the law. This was the generation that Moses had delivered message after message from God to them. They had received God's word in various ways, but this was the generation that God condemned. He didn't wipe out the Israelites because he had made promises to their ancestors. But he said, because of the rebellion, this generation will not enter the promised land. And so they would wander around the desert for 40 years until the generation that had come out of Egypt was all but gone. And a new generation, their children, will be the ones to get the land. And so as the Holy Spirit warned the first recipients of this letter, he now warns us in verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. 
on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Friends, we need to beware of the danger of hardened hearts. We need to beware. Verse 12 tells us that. Take care, brothers, lest there be in you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. You see, the Israelites, they had a heart problem. Their hearts went astray. And the Holy Spirit says to us, take care, beware, watch out, check your hearts. Is there any one of us who has a heart that is evil and unbelieving? Is there any one of us here who is following God on the outside, but not really from the heart? Is there any one of us here who is in danger of falling away from the living God? Holy Spirit says, beware, check your heart. But we're not just to worry about ourselves. Verse 13 says, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We've got to keep on echoing God's word to each other. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So let me warn you now, you can warn me later, we all keep on warning each other. Do not let your hearts be hardened by what verse 13 calls the deceitfulness of sin. Because you see friends, sin is deceitful. It is alluring. It promises so much. But it leads to disaster. Sin looks so attractive. Corruption is okay. Everyone does it from the top to the bottom. That's how you survive in our society. That's how you get ahead. That's how you become rich. And maybe you can even help the church later. Sex outside marriage, that's okay in this day and age. Doesn't matter as long as we love each other, we don't hurt anyone. It'll be pleasurable. It'll be good. It's very unfair if you expect me not to express my sex drive just because I'm not married. Gossip's okay. It's just sharing about someone else. Sin is deceitful, friends. Even in the Garden of Eden, the forbidden fruit looked so good. But the results of eating it were so bad. Sin is deceitful. And so the Spirit says to us, exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Because it's deceitful, sometimes we need other people to help us, isn't it? We can deceive ourselves. If you see your brother or your sister deceived by sin, please go and lovingly and gently talk to them. Help them see their folly. Because you see, the deceitfulness of sin leads to hardened hearts. As we sin more and more, we want to say, okay, it's okay. We want to keep on doing these things because we want to justify ourselves. 
And we will either end up saying that wrong is right and therefore calling God a liar, living in blatant, unrepentant sin, contrary to God's word, professing to believe and trust in Him, but living a lie, or we will turn away from God altogether because we know His standards, but we love sin more than we love Him. In my experience, most of the people whom I know who once professed to follow Jesus but now don't follow Him anymore is because of this. I don't usually see people walk away from the faith because of genuine intellectual reasons. But I often see people who choose sin and then justify themselves by finding intellectual or other reasons to walk out. One of the great reformers said this, and it works both ways actually. What the heart desires, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. What the heart desires, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. Be careful, brothers and sisters. Don't let your hearts be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For verse 14, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. If you made a decision for Christ one day, but you don't keep trusting Him to the end, then you haven't really come to share in Christ. If you go forward at an evangelistic meeting, and you don't keep trusting Christ to the end, you have not come to share in Christ. If you have been baptized and confirmed, but you don't keep trusting Jesus to the end, you have not really come to share in Christ. Even if you are licensed or ordained or consecrated for ministry in the church and you preach the gospel to others, if you don't keep trusting Jesus to the end, you have not come to share in Christ. Listen to the warning. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So keep on keeping on. As it is said, verse 15, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. The people of Israel in the rebellion did not hold on to their confidence to the end. What happened? Well, verse 16 to 18 tell us. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but, but to those who were disobedient? Why did they fail to enter the land? Verse 17 says they sinned. Verse 18 says they were disobedient. But look at the conclusion the writer comes to in verse 19. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. You see, in the end, their sin and their disobedience were symptoms of unbelief. They didn't really trust God. That is why they complained and grumbled. They didn't really trust God. That is why they rebelled and fell into idolatry. They didn't really trust God. That is why they disobeyed. Just as true faith produces good works, 
Unbelief leads to sin. The Israelites failed to believe and so failed to enter the promised land. Or as it actually says, they failed to enter into God's rest. And that's a warning for us as well. We're now in point four on the outline. It's a warning because the writer says in chapter 4, verse 1, that the promise of entering his rest still stands. That's a little bit puzzling, isn't it? Because what is this rest? The Israelites came into the promised land a very long time ago. Well, we understand this rest a little bit better when we look at what we're told about it in the rest of the passage. In chapter 4, verse 3, we read that that um, it is those who have believed who enter that rest. So it's like salvation. We, we enter by faith. In verse 4, the, the rest is associated with the seventh day of creation because it says that God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Now, God didn't rest because he was tired. He rested on day seven at the end of his work of creation to, to enjoy his relationship with the people that he made in his image on day six. Rest here is stopping to enjoy relationship. And the seventh day is also a day that doesn't end. Every other day in Genesis 1 has got evening and morning, but not the seventh. And so in a sense, that seventh day goes on. And Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they're God's people in God's place, enjoying God's rest in that seventh day in an ongoing way. But we lost our access to that rest in the fall. When the human race rebelled against God and we were expelled from the garden. But Israel's rest in the promised land, well, you see, the promised land was the place where they could enjoy relationship with God. And so it was a picture of that Edenic rest. It was a model. It was a picture of God's people and in God's place enjoying God's rest once again. But it wasn't the real thing. For, verse 8, if Joshua had given them rest, the real rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Ah, there's a real rest. The real restoration of Eden was yet to come. And when Jesus came, he came as Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of the rest, the one who brings that true rest. And so he issued the call, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that rest is the real rest that we wait for. And what we experience, a measure of that now, the real rest comes in its fullness when we enter the promised land of the new creation. When once again we will be God's people in God's place, enjoying God's rest. Where sin and all its consequences, death and mourning and crying and pain, are no more. And the rest that we enjoy is the perfect relationship with the triune God forever. So then, verse 8, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Verse 9, rather. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work as God did from his. Friends, that is the rest that we are promised. And that is so, so good. That is so good. And now we've understood how good that rest is. Then we go back to chapter 4, verse 1, and look at the warnings about it. Chapter 4, verse 1. While the promise of entering his rest still stands, 
let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. You see, just as the Israelites had the promise of entering the promised land, their rest, we have the promise of entering the promised land of the new creation, which is our rest. But that generation of Israelites, they failed to reach it. And you and I need to fear lest we miss out as well. Be afraid, the writer says. Take this warning seriously. This is the thing you have to be careful about. For verse 2, good news came to us just as it did to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. The Israelites received good news. They heard about the promises of rest in the promised land, but they didn't trust God's promises. And without faith, the promises were of no benefit to them. And so at the end of verse 6, we see that even though they received the good news, they failed to enter the land because of disobedience. And friends, we too have received the good news. We too have the promises of rest in the new creation through faith in Christ. And so the warning comes down to us as well in verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Friends, I beg of you, please, please, please take heed of this warning. Please, please, please strive to enter that rest. Be eager, be zealous, be enthusiastic about making sure that you're in. Don't risk missing out on the promised land of the new creation. Let not be there be people from St. Mary's who miss out being there. That rest is worth more than any possession, any experience, any relationship that this world has to offer. Don't play play with your salvation. Trust God and don't be disobedient. Don't be like the Israelites in the wilderness who missed out on their rest. Well, the writers of the Hebrews started this section with a warning from the Holy Spirit. If today you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. And that is God's message for us today as well, isn't it? For it is dangerous to hear God's word. When we hear God's word, we must receive it with faith. Unlike the Israelites in the wilderness. For Verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. In other words, the word of God judges us at the deepest level. How we respond to God's word shows what is really in our hearts. And we can't hide from it. Verse 13 says that no creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You see, our response to God's word lays our hearts bare before God. If we trust God's word, that will be shown in obedience. But if our hearts are unbelieving, then we will persist in disobedience and miss out on the rest that is promised to those who believe and keep on believing to the very end. So then, 
What should we do? Well, let me remind you of the big four commands that the Spirit gives us in the passage today. Four big commands. Chapter 3, verse 12, chapter 3, verse 12 take care. Watch out. Check your heart. Make sure you don't have an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Examine your heart. And if you examine your heart and you know that you need to change, then can I say, keep looking at that wonderful kindness that God has shown us in His Son. Keep going back to the Gospel. Keep going back to that great salvation that we saw last week. But what God has achieved for us in Christ. And pray that God will change your heart as you consider Christ. As you consider Him, that He will change your heart, that you love Him in response to His love for you. And that you love Him more than you love sin. Take care. Chapter 3, verse 13, exhort encourage one another plead with one another look out for each other that's what we're here for isn't it to look out for each other it's important that I persevere it's important that you persevere it's important that God's given us to each other to help each other do this let's work together that none of us may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin chapter 4 verse 1 fear don't take these warnings lightly. These are very, very serious. It's big consequences. This is bigger than going to court. This is facing a heavenly judge. This is bigger than life and death. This is about eternal life, eternal death. It's bigger than anything else we will ever deal with. Take this seriously for yourself and for the people around you. And chapter 4, verse 11, strive. Make every effort not to miss out on the promised rest. Make every effort to keep believing. Be kiasu about your faith. Now there's all kinds of things that we can do to, to help us do that. One of the things, make sure you keep meeting God's people here at church each week, won't you? Keep on being here. Keep on meeting each other. Keep on talking to each other. Keep on encouraging each other. As you do this, be purposeful about building a network of people whom you can encourage and who will encourage you in God's Word. Again, there's different ways of doing that, but if you're not in a small group, can I encourage you to consider that? That's a, that's a ready-made way of, of being able to do that. Join one. It's not the only way to do it, but it's a ready-made easy way. Maybe if you're a man, the, the men's breakfast... Maybe if you're a lady, one of the women's Bible study groups. If you're a young adult, there's a young adult's Bible study. Whatever you do, join one of these small groups where you can gather together around God's Word, be exhorted by God's Word, and loving one another in the context of doing that, and helping each other persevere. And make sure that you keep on serving God and that you keep on growing in Christ. Because it's when you stop moving forward that you fall off the bicycle, isn't it? And make sure you examine yourself for deceitful sin that can, that can lead you away from God to unbelief.
And if it's there, then repent and ask God to forgive you. Jesus died to take the punishment for that sin so that you can be completely forgiven. Jesus is your high priest who will deal with you tenderly. Come to him. Admit your wrong and he will forgive you. God is speaking to you, to you, by his spirit, through his word. If you hear his voice today, do not harden your heart. Let's bow our heads for a few moments of silence. And let us examine our hearts and lives in the light of God's word to us this evening. There may be areas in our life where we have been deceived by sin. The Spirit has opened our eyes to that deception and now we need to repent to bring it before God. To ask his forgiveness through Christ who died for us. God might be calling us to think proactively about how we can be exalting one another and encouraging one another to press on. God may be speaking to you about some changes you need to make in your life. If you're going to take seriously the danger of falling away. Father, we thank you for the wonderful promises that you've given us in Christ. Thank you for that promise of rest, of an eternity, of enjoyment, of fellowship with you. Father, we pray that we would not be those 
who failed to enter that rest because of unbelief. Help us to keep on trusting Jesus all the way to the end. Help us to be those who heed the warnings as well as the encouragements that you give us. That by these you keep us in your Son for that future rest. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.